Great. Thanks, Dave. Um, do be turning to page 906 in uh, the Bibles that are on uh, the tables. Uh, it's John chapter 20, and I'll be reading from verse 19 to 23. So that's John chapter 20, verse 19 to 23. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, I'd like to invite Mark up now to to um, open up that scripture for us further. So um, as we uh, come to God's word and Mark brings it to us, let's, let's pray for him and us. Almighty God, thank you for giving us the holy scriptures so that we can know more of who you are and your plans for mankind. Please speak through your faithful servant Mark as he unpacks this part of the Bible for us this morning as we seek to read, listen, learn and apply this to our lives today. And we know we can only do this with the help of the Holy Spirit. Grant us clarity of thought and depth of understanding, Lord, to bring you glory. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. The big decision is whether to wear glasses or not. The lighting in here is shocking. I think I might be skipping between glasses and non-glasses this morning. Uh, thank you for reading this morning, John, from John, uh, from John chapter 20, verse 19. We're going to unpack that a little bit this morning. Uh, and the reason I chose this passage is because we're in a world at the moment which is, has not a lot of peace about. Uh, I think it's yesterday was the anniversary of the invasion into Ukraine. And uh, we've been reflecting on the agony and pain that's been going through the world through that event 12 months ago and the lack of peace in the whole of that area of the world. I was reflecting, it was three years ago today I was in St. Petersburg at a conference I was speaking at with Kazakhstan, Belarusian, Ukrainian and Russian people. And we were together on the stage and we were sharing in fellowship and we were able to do so without not really much threat, whereas now that would be pretty unthinkable and probably will be in the rest of our lifetime. And the world has gone through a very difficult time, and peace is something that is very often remote for many of us. Uh, shortly we'll be coming up to Easter, suddenly springs on us, doesn't it? This half term come, becomes very quick, goes very quickly, and we'll be thinking about the Easter story and the resurrection. I always remember my father when he, when he preached when I was a, when I was a child, He'd often say to me, every Sunday you can celebrate Resurrection Sunday. Every Sunday you can celebrate the fact that we can remember Christ's death, but also his resurrection. 
And this morning we can celebrate the resurrection of a king, a king who brings peace. In the Chronicles of Narnia, an allegory by C.S. Lewis that many of you, if not all of us, have read at some point, the author has two girls, Susan and Lucy, getting ready to meet Aslan the lion. Aslan represents Christ in that uh, story. Two talking animals, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, prepare the children for the encounter. Ooh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, said Mrs. Beaver. And make no mistake, if there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just silly. Then isn't he safe, said Lucy. Safe? said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And today we're going to be looking at that king. The Jews thought they'd made him safe by killing him, but it actually allowed Jesus to do exactly what was promised years before and was part of God's perfect plan to save humanity. Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. So come with me this morning as we meet that risen king together, that prince of peace, to experience the time when Jesus first revealed himself to his disciples when they thought that he was dead and buried. As we know, the Bible's got two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The New Testament's got 27 books, four gospels, telling the life of Jesus, 21 letters explaining the meaning of Jesus for our lives, one history about the early church, and one prophecy. All 27 of these books deal with Jesus as alive, risen from the dead, and the central living reality in the universe today. He himself being very God and very man. What I'd like to do with us this morning is to look at Jesus' first experience, first appearance, to all of his frightened disciples after the resurrection. What I'd like us to see is how did Jesus act and what did Jesus say? And we're going to look at three facts and three gifts in this passage here in John chapter 20 and verses 19 to 23. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. So first of all, then, three facts and how Jesus deals with us. So this is the evening of the Sunday that he rose from the dead. <clears throat> that morning, Jesus had appeared to Mary Magdalene, but now he appears to all the disciples, the 11 apostles, all at once. Notice three things, three facts. The first one of those is that the doors are locked. It's there in the Bible. The doors were locked. The second one, the disciples are frightened. And the third one, that Jesus comes to them and stands in their midst. These three facts tell us three things that we can know about how the risen Christ deals with us today. So first of all, the doors were locked. An extraordinary situation here. Jesus did not have to knock. He did not even have to open the door. He was simply there. 
But he wasn't a ghost. Lots of programs in there about ghosts and that side of things on television. But Jesus wasn't a ghost. Because he said it in verse 20, he showed them his hands and his side. In Luke 24 we read, he said, Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. So he has a physical body. But not exactly like ours, the same yet different. He was simply there in spite of the closed doors. And this reminds us that in our lives today, Jesus can go where no one else can go. He can go where no counsellor can go. He can go where no doctor can go. No coach can go. He can go where no lover can go, no parent, no friend, no boss, no wife, no husband, no child. He can reach us and reach into us anywhere and at any time. There is no place where we are, no depths of despair or heights of joy where we are where Jesus cannot penetrate. We can take comfort in that. He is always with us. And we can take caution in that we can never escape him. Comfort in that he is always with us. Caution in that we can never escape him. Jesus' resurrection from the dead fits him to do what no one else can do. There is no one else like him in the universe. He is alive and he is the one and only God-man. What he is capable of, we cannot imagine. This is the man who did not have to knock, but was in the room. It's an incredible wonder to contemplate that all the complex layers of our life, all of our history, all of the baggage, all of our concerns, which neither us nor anyone else can understand, are familiar territory to him. God cannot be shocked or surprised by us. One of the things I'm enjoying doing this year which I was given uh, as a present for Christmas, is a tremendous devotional called New New Morning Mercies, which I'd highly, highly recommend. It's probably the best devotional I've ever done, and done quite a few over the years. I'm going to quote from a few little bits today. It's by Paul Tripp, American guy. I'm just going to quote a few little bits and pieces today as we go through our service. This is from January the 4th on God knowing all things. God is with you in your moments of darkness because he will never leave you. But your darkness isn't dark to him. Your mysteries aren't mysterious to him. Your surprises don't surprise him. He understands all the things that confuse you the most. Not only are your mysteries not mysterious to him, but he is in complete charge of all that is mysterious to you and me. God is in complete charge. The doors were locked here. Jesus did not have to knock and he was there in the midst. So secondly, they were afraid. The doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Their leader had just been crucified as a threat to Caesar. Their fear was totally understandable. And into that fear, Jesus comes. As someone once said, sometimes the Lord calms the storm. Sometimes he lets the storm rage and calms his child. I don't know where you are this morning are you asking the Lord to calm the storm in your life or are you asking him to calm you while the storm rages around you 
Well, the disciples were in a storm. They were petrified. Their leader had just been killed. They weren't sure what was happening, and they were afraid. And here Jesus comes in, and he calms his children. And this morning, I want to draw your attention to this, because this is the way we often feel the need of the risen, living Jesus most often, through fear, through concern, through doubt, fear that we won't be prepared for what we're expected to do, fear that our new job won't go well, fear that our finances may dry up, or fear that I won't be brave enough to share my faith at the point I know I should be. Fear that I'll be saved by fire. Fear that my children will make a shipwreck of their faith. Fear that I won't have the faith to die well. Fear that I might drift into worldliness and uselessness. Fear that I may lose the original excitement of diving into God's word. Fear that the Sunday lunch is burning. Fear that I'm getting old and have left no legacy. Are you fearful this morning? Of your reputation, of your family, of your finances, of your health? of the future of the past. Well, what Jesus the risen Lord is saying in this action is, I come to my own when they are afraid. I don't wait for them to get their act together. I don't wait for them to have enough faith to overcome fear. I come to help them have enough faith to overcome fear. And that is a truly wonderful grace. A truly, truly wonderful grace. The disciples were petrified here, but Jesus was here to calm them. And I can personally testify over many decades of being a Christian, this is still true. The risen, living Jesus is still doing this. He comes when we cry out to him in our fear. He, he helps us. We can call to him a thousand times. Jesus, please help me. And he will come a thousand times with the promise from Isaiah. Fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed. I am your God. I will help you. He really will do this for us today if we know him as our saviour. And I guess the question this morning is, do you know Christ as your saviour? As Martin Luther said, a religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing, is worth nothing. Well, our Lord has given everything, it cost everything, he suffered everything, and he's given us a faith that is worth everything. Do you know it? Is it a personal thing? Do you want to know more about that? Come along to our questions with a pint, chat with John or any of us here this morning. The doors were locked. The disciples were afraid. And then thirdly, Jesus comes to them and stands in the middle of them. This is the third fact we see here. The doors in verse 19, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. The point is that he came into the middle of the group here, the middle of their meeting. I didn't come to the edge, so I was sitting at the side there and call out through the wall and deal with them as a distant deity. He wasn't playing games with them. He wasn't toying with their faith. He wanted them to see him and know him and believe in him and love him. And that's what he wants for us today. He wants us to experience that living Jesus, to know him, to have him draw into our life where no one else can go. To have him help us in our fears the way no one else can help us. And to have him to come close to us. Not calling from a distance. I can help you, but here, in the middle of the group. He was in the middle of the disciples here. Has that happened to you this morning? Do you know this risen Lord? Or is it just an interesting fact from the Easter story? 
And if you do know Christ, then identify and be part of his people here in Colchester or wherever you're living or going to live. COVID has led to some really strange ways of living, hasn't it? Everything's gone virtual. We spend half our time on Teams or Zoom. But let's not get used to that. Let's not get used to YouTube sermons. Let's not get used to, YouTube, uh, to, to stuff on Teams and Zoom. The great evangelist D.L. Moody once called in on a leading citizen in Chicago to persuade him to accept Christ. They were seated in the man's front room. It was winter and a coal was burning and coal was burning in the fireplace. The man objected that he could be just as good a Christian outside the church as in it. Moody said nothing, but stepped to the fireplace, took the tongs, picked up a blazing coal from the fire and set it off by itself. In silence, the two watched it smolder and go out. I see, said the man. We need to be part of a church. We need to be part of a Christian community like Cornerstone. We need to meet with Jesus in the center as a group like the disciples here. Are you prepared? Am I prepared to have Jesus in the middle of our lives today rather than just on the edge, maybe on Sunday mornings, maybe when we get time to do a quiet time rather than in the middle of our lives? So that's three facts about how Jesus dealt with his disciples and deals with us. The doors were locked, the disciples were afraid, and Jesus comes and stands in the middle of them. So then secondly, let's look at three gifts in what Jesus says. So that's the way he acts as the risen living Christ. Now, what does he say? And what are the three gifts he has for us? Well, these are the gift of peace, the gift of power, and the gift of purpose. So the opposite of peace is conflict. We've been thinking about that already with what's going on in Ukraine. We see so much around us today in conflict. The opposite of power is weakness. The opposite of purpose is aimlessness. Many, many lives are ruined by conflict, by weakness and aimlessness. Jesus did not come into the world and die and rise again to ruin our lives, but to save them. And what we see is that he saves us from ruining, ruining our lives by becoming our peace and our power and our power purpose himself. And that's our prayer this morning, that God will do this for us. Make Jesus your peace. Look to Jesus. Jesus your power and Jesus your purpose. So first of all, the gift of peace. The Personnel Journal reported this statistic a few years ago, that since the beginning of recorded history, the entire world has been at peace less than 8% of the time. In its study, the periodical discovered that of 3,530 years of recorded history, only 286 years saw peace. Moreover, in excess of 8,000 peace treaties were made and broken. So what does Jesus say here? Two times he says, Peace be with you. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said again to them, Peace be with you. Let me just quote again from Paul Tripp. This is the good news of the gospel. 
Peace came. Peace lived. Peace died. Peace rose again. Peace reigns on your behalf. Peace indwells you by the Spirit. Peace graces you with everything you need. Peace convicts. Peace forgives. Peace delivers you. Peace will finish his work in you. Peace will welcome you into glory, where peace will live with you in peace and righteousness forever. Peace isn't a faded dream. No, peace is real. Peace is a person, and his name is Jesus. How wonderful is that? Well, before Jesus says anything about power or purpose, he wants to establish peace. The order is really important here. The peace that Jesus gives us before and underneath any of our empowered actions or of our purposeful deeds. We don't initiate peace with Jesus by our actions. He initiates peace with us. So the Apostle Paul, who wrote 13 of the 21 New Testament letters, explains it like this. He, in Ephesians chapter 2, he, Jesus, himself is our peace, who has made us both through one, Jew and Gentile, and reconciled us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. The peace that Jesus offers the disciples is peace that he accomplished when he died for them on the cross. That's why in verse 20 he says, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. I am the one who died. I'm the one you abandoned. I'm the one who has pierced for your transgressions, Isaiah 53. And the reason I can offer you peace is because my blood, by my blood, I have covered all your sins. That's what Paul means when he said Christ reconciled us both to God through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. All the hostility between God and us was absorbed in the cross. Here, look at my hands. Look at my side. I had made peace with these. Justice was satisfied with these. Peace between you and God and me was established with these. So, where does peace come in our lives? Well, I think it comes in five different places, five relationships where the crucified and risen Christ brings peace into our lives. The first of those is peace between us and Jesus. That's the first and the most obvious meaning. He is standing there among them, offering them himself as a friend and a helper, not a judge. Secondly, peace between us and God. Sort of a vertical, imagine God being in heaven, sort of a vertical line here. That's why God sent Jesus so that God's justice and wrath could be satisfied another way besides eternal punishment. God makes peace with us by substituting his son's suffering for our penalty. We deserved the penalty, but God sent his son to take our place. Now he comes to us as a loving father, that peace with God. All right, thirdly then, peace between us and others who are in Christ. That's the peace in this room between us. To be reconciled to God, is to be reconciled to all who are reconciled to God. No hostility, vertically or horizontally, no racism, no sexism, no classism. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ, in Galatians chapter 3. And then fourthly, peace between us and our own souls, or looking internally. The New Testament letter to the Hebrews says, the blood of Christ will purify our conscience, conscience from dead works to serve the living God, Hebrews 9. The precious peace of a clear conscience. How many people labor under the misery of a dirty, guilty conscience? Have you done something about which you, you say, I cannot forgive myself? Then remember, that's what Good Friday is for. 
peace with yourself doesn't mean you start seeing past sins as passable. Peace doesn't mean that past sins cease to be painful. It means they cease to be paralyzing. The pain may not be taken away immediately, but the penalty is taken away immediately through Christ. And that makes it possible to heal and to move on with hope-filled life while you do. And then fifthly, peace with the world beyond these four walls. When Christ died, he did what needed to be done so that someday in God's time, all evil will be cast into outer darkness in Colossians 1 and the entire new creation will be full of peace and righteousness. The entire creation, everything, everywhere, Ukraine, Belarus, Russia, will be full of peace and righteousness. And we saw in Isaiah 9 at Christmas, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end with righteousness from this time forth and evermore. Peace with Jesus, peace with God the Father, peace with others in Christ, peace with ourselves, and peace with the world. It is an amazing achievement. As Charles Wesley said in one of his great hymns, I rest beneath the almighty shade. My griefs expire, my trouble cease. Thou, Lord, on whom my soul is stayed, will keep me still in perfect peace. So how do you receive this peace? Everybody doesn't have it. It's a gift of God. We receive it or we walk away from him. Or better to say we receive him or walk away from him. He, Jesus, is our peace. If you have the risen, living Christ as your Savior and Lord and treasure and friend, you have the peace that he gives, the peace that he is. To all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God from John chapter 1. And then in Romans 5 we read, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus offers us that today. And it's free. Receive it today. Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So secondly, then the gift of power. And then just briefly, these two. The gift of power. Jesus was going to pour out the Holy Spirit when he ascended into heaven. Read that in Acts. That happens about seven weeks later after the resurrection. Uh, resurrection. Read about that in the first chapter of Acts. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The work of the Holy Spirit that Jesus gives is that he makes us able to do what we are simply not able to do on our own. He gives us power. So here in John chapter 20 and verse 22, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. He said in effect, realize that my breath, my life, my word will be in the Holy Spirit. And this person, this power is our only hope for accomplishing the purpose that he has for us. Whatever that may be, whether it be teaching, whether it be running a home, whether it be retiring, whatever that may be. He gives that purpose in verse 21. As the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. I want you to live in the world as my representatives. In a work context, in a home context, in a global context, in a local context. We are ambassadors for Christ. I want you to take my peace and take my power and glorify the Father the way I have. And then finally, the gift of purpose. We do need a purpose in our lives. One of the top cartoonists, a guy called Ralph Barton, left this note pinned to his pillow before taking his own life. 
I have had few difficulties, many friends, great successes. I have gone from wife to wife, from house to house, visited great countries of the world, but I am fed up with inventing devices to fill up 24 hours of the day. He had no purpose. How sad. Jesus comes to us and gives us peace with God. Then he gives us power to do the kind of things that others may not be able to do. Like defeating our own selfishness and loving other people and treasuring Christ above others. And then with that peace and that power, he gives us a purpose for existence. As the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. I'm sending you to extend my peace and my light and my truth and my life in the world. I'm going to my Father, but I give you my spirit. I am the power in you, so go and glorify me in this world. That's our great purpose. In the peace of God, by the power of God, to do the will of God for the glory of God and for the good of others. We've been working our way through this um, catechism, haven't we, uh, over the recent weeks. And question four, if you remember it, was how and why did God create us? I had to get this because in case I got it wrong. <laughs> so I'm cheating. Uh, and we, and we learned this a few weeks ago. God created us male and female in his own image to know him, love him, live with him and glorify him. And it is right that we who were created by God should live to his glory. That's our purpose, to live for his glory. So on this Sunday morning, we can cry out victory. We have peace, we have power and we have purpose. Jesus has conquered death. He is alive. There's a great hymn written by Edward Henry Bickersteth, who went to Trinity College in Cambridge, actually, cares. And he wrote this great hymn, Peace, perfect peace in this dark world of sin. The blood of Jesus whispers peace within. Peace, perfect peace, by thronging duties pressed. To do the will of Jesus, this is rest. Peace, perfect peace, death shadowing us and ours. Jesus has vanquished death and all its powers. Peace, perfect peace, our future all unknown. Jesus we know, and he is on the throne. It is enough, earth's struggle soon shall cease, and Jesus call to heaven's perfect peace. Amen.